Welcome nerds, now bracing for an entertainment incursion. Rolling Rockabilly Track Gearing you up with the latest in horror, video games, movies, and TV. Now channeling the ultimate power of family. Nerds, this will be your finest hour. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's podcast, we're talking all the latest news and rumors in nerd culture. Plus, we've got a super late review for Fast X. We're also discussing the Summer Games Fest and talking the latest episode of AEW. And if today's episode isn't enough for you, don't forget you can get even more Amazing Nerd Show content on Patreon by subscribing to our $5 tier. Doing so, you'll gain access to our Best and Worst of the Week show. Though, if you'd like even more than that, additional bonus podcasts will be available for our 10 dollar tier that includes all of the other tiers benefits as well that's right christian we have over 20 best and the worst of the week episodes up and we also have better late than never reviews for things like season two of the bad batch uh megan and men along with anime reviews you can find our patreon link in our show notes or simply type in patreon.com slash amazing show but all right, with that said, let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. Warning, potential spoilers for upcoming shows and movies ahead. Check timestamps to avoid spoilers. You have been warned. All right, this week up first, it sounds like Warner Brothers apparently already has a Flash sequel in the works. So according to Variety, um, work on a script for The Flash 2 has already been completed by David Leslie Johnson McGoldrick and would continue to feature Michael Keaton's Batman and Sasha Kale's um, Supergirl. Now, there's no word if this film is something that DC Studios is looking to pick up, especially with all the controversy surrounding Ezra Miller. But we've seen rumors from Warner execs and even an interview with director Andy Muschietti that if a sequel were to happen, he sees nobody better to play the role of Flash than Ezra Miller. But there really is no confirmation at this time of a sequel being greenlit. So this actually is a script that was written before uh, the James Gunn regime. And, you know, all things point to, you know, James and crew taking the DC universe in a very different direction. Um, but that's not to say that, you know, if this film does gangbusters in the box office, which all signs point to that being the case, that Warner Brothers wouldn't try to make The Flash 2, you know, a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just kind of weird because even before the regime change, I think everyone just assumed that you know this film would be resetting the table for the dc universe um i don't know it's just hard to say exactly how i feel about this story until i actually see you know the flash you know? Um, and even though there's been tons of speculation that you know warner brothers in the future might recast the role of the flash um and with it being a multiverse you know tale there's a complete out for doing so um it's no secret at this point that warner brothers is still very high on ezra miller um so i wouldn't be surprised if you know as long as they stay on the straight and narrow and they start to really like clean up their lives that warner brothers you know don't end up you know sticking with them i don't know just for me um with ezra using the the flash name for whatever you know cult business there was allegedly uh, allegedly mm. um <laughs> i don't know i just washed my hands of it 
Uh, that's just me. Though. No, I, I totally agree. Um, but you know, it's all about money at the end of the day, Christian. Uh-huh. So we'll see. <laughs> and that's also not to say that I don't want them to get better. You know, obviously, you know, if they can get better, yeah, that's great. And that's the best case scenario. But at the same time, it does feel like Warner Brothers is playing with fire here. So um, and when you've got like hundreds of millions of dollars at stake and, you know, potentially one of your bigger franchises, it's quite a gamble. I also don't like the notion that that they can't just make a bigger and better film with these characters in general. Like, I understand this might make hundreds of millions to billions of dollars, but it's like the, I feel like the Flash brand as as in general can just be rebuilt so easily with any type of cast. Oh, yeah, 100%. And I don't necessarily feel like that's what they're saying. I think they just are a big fan of Ezra's work. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I feel like you could slide in another actor. It doesn't all ride and rest on Ezra's shoulders. I think that's a role that is, you know, universally beloved. And, you know, I mean, look, the, the Flash series was a big hit for a long time. Mm-hmm. I mean, so much so that there have been people lobbying for Grant Gustin to, you know, take over the role. So while, yes, the actor is important, you know, who who's playing the role, you know, it's the character that's universally beloved. But from day one, like, Azra has wielded a lot of power when it comes to, you know, this character in this film. Because if you remember, like, back in the day, we heard about them not getting along with, like, directors and writers and Warner Brothers, you know, taking their side. And Warner Brothers ended up taking Ezra's side. So they do, like, truly believe in them. And there's a lot of buzz surrounding this movie, even though I believe they're like the Rotten Tomato score right now is like it's 70%, but you know, what the hell does that even mean anymore? Um, I, I'm i just going to have to wait and see, you know, until I actually see the fucking movie before I decide whether or not I want a sequel. Um, you know, especially one starring Batman and you know, Supergirl, because that just feels weird to me. Like, so is that going to be another multiverse tale then? Um where are we going? Because we also heard, you know, a while back too, like Supergirl was supposed to get her own series at one point. Yeah. And it was supposed to star um, Michael Keaton's Batman as like her mentor. Um, and that got scrapped. So I just think at the end of the day, like this whole script existing, you know, you know, before the gun regime is probably a non-story. But I think the idea of a Flash sequel is very much a possibility. Well, speaking of The Flash, it looks like Flash director Andy Muschietti might have found himself another job with DC. The upcoming Flash film director Andy Muschietti is rumored to be on to direct Batman the Brave and the Bold, which will be a part of James Gunn's new DC continuity. The rumor comes from One Take News, and their sources claiming that Muschietti will direct the father-son tale between Bruce and Damian Wayne. While this hasn't been confirmed just yet by DC Studios, it does add a little bit more weight to the rumors started by Muschietti back in May when he was asked in an interview how he'd handled the next Batman film, which he alluded to not being able to talk about that just yet. So I don't think this comes as a surprise. Um, like I said before, Gunn has come out and praised The Flash. Um, so, I mean, obviously he's a fan of what Muschietti did, uh, especially in juggling two Batmans. Uh, so why not put him in the driver's seat for, you know, a Brave and the Bold film? 
And we know that film is supposed to include uh, Damian Wayne as Robin. And if you think about it, like Andy Muschietti's like rise to fame came with what he did with uh, it and his authentic portrayal of, you know, the kids in that story. So I feel like this is probably a really good fit for him, seeing that, you know, Braving the Bull is going to, you know, co-star a character that's probably around the same age range as, you know, the kids from, you know, that film. Um, you know, not that Damien is your typical kid <laughs> by any means. Not at all. But, I mean, it definitely feels like this would be in Muschietti's wheelhouse. It's going to be a fun balancing act because, you know, Damien's personality can be kind of annoying. <laughs> I'd say. <laughs> but that's what makes the dynamic between him and, you know, Bruce so fun. Well, sticking with all things DC, uh, we have an update for the upcoming Superman Legacy film. Ring the bell, we've got another contender for Superman this week as Variety reports Pearson Foday of soap opera The Bold and the Beautiful fame had apparently put in his own submission to try and be casted for this role. Variety sources say that Gunn actually liked what he saw from this reel, but there's no clear answer if this actually puts him in you know, the true running to be our next Superman. But whoever does get the role may be facing one of Superman's biggest enemies in Brainiac, as claimed by industry scooper Daniel RPK and Umberto Gonzalez. Again, this is all rumors right now, but when Gunn doesn't immediately come out and say something nowadays, it just kind of looks a little bit more likely than it used to. So perhaps Brainiac could be our next big villain here. Superman Legacy is slated for July 11th, 2025. Yeah, that was like my next question. Like, has Gunn come out and debunked this already? <laughs> uh, but you know, since he hasn't, you got to think that, you know, where there's smoke, there might be fire. Um, there's been rumors about Brainiac for years when it comes yeah. to Superman. Um, it's like one of the villains that they haven't tackled yet on film and like one of Superman's biggest foes. So, I mean, it just feels like it makes sense. We also know that they're currently trying to cast Lex Luthor for the film. Uh, and there's a lot of rumors swirling around Nicholas Holt as a possible top contender. Still holding out hope for uh, Batista. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Batista's what, in his 50s at this point? So they might want to go a little younger since Clark is younger. Um, I guess. But I mean, but I'd be down for that. I mean, it'd be a different take. Mm. And I, I, I feel like he'd crush it, honestly. Well, moving on to the Marvel side of things, uh, we have an update for Captain America 4. Star Anthony Mackie revealed on Instagram that there's been a slight name change for Cap 4, as the film will now be called Captain America Brave New World instead of New World Order in a picture that he posted on Instagram with Harrison Ford. With the new title though, there hasn't been any new changes to the date. It's still coming out May 3rd, 2024. Yeah, I think the title change reveal came from like the back of one of the cast chairs on the set mm -hmm. that you see Mackie uh, and Harrison Ford sitting in. Um, I thought it was more interesting that Harrison Ford didn't grow a fucking mustache for the role. Um, or disappointing, I should say. <laughs> Maybe it'll be CGI. I hope not. I mean, he's Harrison Ford, so he can do whatever the fuck he wants. But uh, come on, dude. Uh, you know, I mean, invest a little in the role. I think even more exciting than, you know, the title change, because whatever. Um was the fact that he was in like tattered pants. Um, so we are going to see him go into like a full transformation into the Red Hulk, you know, eventually in the film. And, you know, since 
you know, the Red Hulk, just like, you know, the current Hulk in the MCU keeps a lot of his personality. I'm assuming that means we're going to get to see, like, Harrison Ford act, act through this giant red CGI character, uh, which should be and fun. And with the, you know, the newest Indiana Jones film coming out, you know they already have plenty of scans of his face, so it probably wasn't too hard for them to do CGI. Well, up next, it looks like we might have a Legend of Zelda film in the works. With the incredible success of the Super Mario Brothers film, it seems Nintendo may be looking to expand into other properties to be made into films. And of course, the no-brainer next choice should obviously be The Legend of Zelda. Industry insider Jeff Snyder on the hot mic this week claimed Universal's Illumination would be taking on Zelda as the next big franchise, which to me just seems like a property that could possibly do even better than Mario did in the box office, which is currently still the highest grossing film of this year so far. No official statements have been made by Nintendo or Universal at this time, but I don't think this should actually you know, be a shock to anyone. Yeah, I mean, we were questioning why this wasn't a thing already years ago. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> now, what game would you like to see them adapt, Christian? Oh, um, well... I feel like the easiest and probably the most compelling is Ocarina of Time. Um, I feel like it's one that a lot of people, you know, have a lot of connection to. But um, I want to really know if they're going to give Link a voice, to be honest, because he never talks in any of the games. Yeah, which is funny because I didn't realize that until recently when my daughter really got into, you know, the Zelda games. Uh, but my only experience with like Zelda outside of the original game was through the Super Mario Brother, like, you know, Power Hour, where the hell they used to call it, where they, like, gotcha. on Fridays, they would play a Zelda cartoon, which in hindsight, Link was an obnoxious, like, creep in that show, like, constantly harassing Zelda. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, I think it's better off that he doesn't talk. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, like, I'm surprised that you didn't say Breath of the Wild, since I know that's been a, a huge, like, financial and critical success. Well, I think the easiest way to explain is that Ocarina is a little bit less of a open world experience than Breath of the Wild is, where Breath of the Wild, it's, it's like an open narrative until and you have one objective is just get powerful enough to get to Ganon at the end of the game. Whereas Ocarina, you, there's a whole storyline and you know different characters you have to interact with, and you get to learn a lot more about who Zelda is as a character as well as she has you know some secrets in there if you don't you know the story. So it, I think it's a good way to explore all the characters a little bit better than what we would get with Breath of the Wild, especially since Breath of the Wild has such a a random you know start for the whole um, game in general. But couldn't they tack on like the Hyrule Warriors like game? story because that's like a prequel right to breath of the wild mm -hmm. i mean sure yeah but also i wouldn't be surprised too like you know in the name of like corporate synergy like you know them trying to do a breath of the wild and then what's the new game tears of the kingdom or whatever exactly so. um yeah i could see that too just because like even what we're seeing with god of war they're skipping all the original games just to get to the more recent story and so they could yeah. just save it for the prequels right yeah if they want to well, lastly, it sounds like John Carpenter is stirring up rumors of the possibility of a sequel to his classic The Thing. 
At Texas Frightmare this year, John Carpenter during a Q&A was asked if Keith David's child was inhabited by the thing at the end of the movie. And unexpectedly, Carpenter mentioned that while he's been sworn to secrecy here, there may actually be a thing to coming. He really doubled down on the maybe, but this really does allude to a potential project being pitched around right now to be picked up. I mean, with the amount of popularity that, you know, the thing has garnered over the years, I'm not really surprised by this um i'm more surprised that it's just taken this long i mean he did do like a remake of sorts a couple years back um that i thought was pretty like bland and i don't know just vanilla um but it was it wasn't necessarily a remake like wasn't like the story like coinciding with like the original story but like it was just following like the norwegian camp or something like that so I guess it wasn't like a straight read. As Scream says, it was a requel, you know? Okay, yeah, right. <laughs> um, so, I don't know. And, like, that film, surprisingly, has, like, also garnered a huge, like, fan base over the last couple years. But, I don't know, it just didn't do anything for me. Like I said, I mean, I'm sure this will happen eventually. It's just more of a case of when. Um, I don't foresee them, like, bringing back Kurt Russell or anything like that. That just feels so unnecessary though but the mm. concept itself is a cool one and and as long as they don't go like too heavy with the cgi and they like bring you know the story back to its roots with like practical effects and everything like that i'd be on board yeah as long as it's grounded in practical effects i i would be happy with it you know it, well with the right director and script yeah well of course, <laughs> of yeah. course but... it can't just be effects but <laughs> although sometimes that is good enough for me but if we're talking like mm. a thing franchise you know you want it to be quality um and the design of like how the alien like replicates people it's just so fucking amazing um and just really like leads to so many different possibilities that you, you know you want it done right i mean you get the right like effects guru in there um and you know sky's the limit and now the nerds review of fast x heavy spoilers ahead and now our feature presentation to be done in a car they did it if it violates the laws of god and gravity they did it twice but the days where one man behind the wheel of a car can make a difference are over it's time to prepare for what's coming you might want to buckle up Oh, God. Uh, Dom and his family are targeted by the vengeful son of a drug kingpin, Hernan Reyes. Uh, Fast X is directed by Louis Latrier. Christian, maybe? Yes, no? Sure. Latrier, I don't sure. know. And stars Vin Diesel and Jason Momoa. So after the gang literally sent a car into space in the last film, I think it's pretty clear that Fast and Furious couldn't hit a higher ceiling without breaking into a new subgenre of film at this point. And while Fast X was equally as ridiculous and stupid as 9 and 8 were, I can honestly say that this was the first time I actually found myself truly getting bored as this film, you know, rehashed a whole bunch of stunts that we had already seen in the previous films. Let's be honest, it would be very easy to sit here and obliterate the script as it's been lazy nonsense writing ever since they became freelance secret agents. Um, I will talk about the story a little bit here um, because 
I do have a gripe at the end of it. But honestly, there was really nothing new here. Um, you know, it's unfinished business coming to wreck the lives of Dom and his family. Uh, this time around, we had Jason Momoa as our antagonist, Dante, which was probably the most fun character in the entire film. It felt like Momoa was, you know, this world's version of Joker, as one bad day caused by Dom and crew changed his whole life. They killed his father and stole his family's wealth in Fast Five with the infamous safe heist where they drove a safe like a wrecking ball through the streets of Brazil. Momoa's Dante, you know, taking the words of his father, isn't just out to kill the family, but torture them all before ending their lives. So we get some elaborate traps that Dom has to, you know, save the ones he loves over and over throughout this film. Vin Diesel in this is more dull than ever as he gives the same speech about family every 10 minutes or so and through all odds saves his friends and family. The sidekicks in this have little to nothing really to do in this film other than really being the prey for Dante as he uses them to torture Dom. Their whole side mission of hiding from the agency because of course Dante has found a way to turn the agency against the family as well, but anyway their entire side mission of staying undercover was the part that nearly put me to sleep. Tyrese Gibson's character Roman throughout these films has been begging to be the leader of a mission, so this film they let him be an actual leader here, and of course it turns out to be a mission set up by Dante as a trap for them. Roman is usually the biggest comedic relief for the film, and Tyrese and Luda usually have this very funny, natural friendship chemistry. However, the script gave these two nothing good. You know, like not a single joke landed with me, and they had a terribly awkward fight that made zero sense in the middle of this film. And I, and I also think this was probably supposed to be a gag, but every joke throughout these sequences were met with like zero laughter in my theater. And I actually had quite a few people still in there, even though the film came out a couple weeks ago. Another story we had was John Cena, who plays Dom's brother. You know, last film he was the big bad, and this time around he's, you know, the perfect uncle as he takes care of Dom's son, uh, little Brian, in what felt like this very Disney Channel style road trip that they were going on. Uh, we also had Michelle Rodriguez's character, Letty, getting captured early on in this film with by the agency and sent to a supermax prison of theirs, where she actually ends up needing the help of their former nemesis, Cypher, as played by Charlize Theron. Uh, the two of them actually escape almost as easily as the clandestines in Miss Marvel, so that was a bit annoying and seemed like very pointless moment in this entire film, but at least these two stories weren't as bad as what was going on with Roman and the rest of them. I, I don't know what the fuck that was all really about. But if that sounds like a whole lot of, you know, characters and a whole lot of side stories going on, it is. The story is trying to service and give time to way too many characters and it takes away so much from Momoa and takes away so much from Dom versus um, Dante, which was only good because Momoa's performance was just that entertaining to watch. But shit story aside, um, usually what you can at least expect from this franchise is 
is getting to see, you know, what's the next big dumb stunt they can try and make me believe, or at least push beyond my beliefs. What's the next big dumb stunt that they can try and pull off? Um, what super unrealistic thing is Dom going to do with his car? And while Dom still does some dumb stunts, not a single one of them were anything near what we've seen in the past few films. And the fact that this was some of the worst CGI that the franchise has had in years, um, with all the CGR, with a ton of CGI car stunts, I mean, seriously, sometimes it looked like I was watching the opening sequence to Need for Speed Underground from 2003, which is weird because they went pretty balls to the wall with Fast 9. I mean, some of the shit in that was, you know, absolutely insane. I mean, completely unrealistic stunts. But it at least seemed like they were like, you know, having some fun in the room coming up with these things. Some around it all just kind of felt lazy. Like there was no crazy stunts, no like crazy action sequences that I can really remember right now or stood out. Like everything seemed pretty run of the mill for a Fast and Furious film. So like I said up front, perhaps they've really reached the peak of what they can do with these movies. And that's probably why they're trying to bring them to an end, though they most likely will never actually end. They can just easily pass the keys on over to his son. This film does end uh, cliffhanger style. Uh, we are made to believe that the bad guy may have actually won here. Um, the only one that isn't actually in harm's way is Letty, and that's because she's up in Antarctica at the Supermax prison. Um, but let's be honest, um, it's a Fast and Furious film, and no one truly dies. Um, it's more ridiculous than a comic book movie. Um, I mean, even like we got this whole sequence in this film, like not, not even talking about main characters here. We're talking about just, you know, citizens that are supposed to be on the street. There was a bomb absolutely wrecking havoc going through the streets of Rome um, in this film. And it was just destroying everything in its sight, running through cars, all that good shit. And at, after all that, we get a news report saying that there was zero casualties. No one got hurt in the entire sequence. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. At least even like MCU films, there's someone that gets hurt. You know, there's people, innocent people that still get injured and hurt. And it's, you know, something that the hero has to reflect on. How do I minimize as much damage as possible? But these films always do everything in their power to just make all these characters feel like they're Superman and have this impossible will that saves everyone every single time. It makes them extremely hard to relate to. It makes them extremely not human in any form. Like Dom just does not seem like a human being. He just seems like a robot that only knows how to say family, especially in this film. But to continue on with the whole death thing here, um, and to give you some big ending spoilers here. So if you if you actually do care about Fast and Furious, which I apologize for shitting all over your favorite movie, but it sucks. Uh, <laughs> Gal Gadot is back. Um, the, the film ends with Letty and Cypher, you know, deciding to work together finally and escaping and finding Gal Gadot's character. I don't remember what her fucking name was, but a character who clearly died like she her character was sucked into an airplane you know um, turbine she, there was no no denying that she died it was like one of those few characters where you actually saw them die in one of these films i don't know if it was five or six it was one of those it was five six or seven it was one of those earlier ones but her death was also a major fuel for another character han 
who goes on this whole journey now that feels completely pointless since she was actually alive this whole time and if she's here with cypher it means that she was also been working for the bad guys i i just like when i'm trying to wrap my head around this franchise and everything that's been going on and all this bullshit knowledge i know about fast and furious i i, I feel like i'm gonna have a stroke when you know when these characters come back and it makes no sense and they're just cgiing around you know the story that they've already written and they're just retconning everything constantly i mean for god's sakes han is now best friends with one of his biggest enemies who was also part of fucking Gal Gadot's character dying. It's, it's just, it's nonsense. It's too much. <laughs> I'm gonna be giving the film an F plus, and the plus is really only coming from Momoa's performance, as he didn't really do anything wrong here. Um, his character is, you know, just as wild and ridiculous as everything else in this film, but it was at least enjoyable to watch. He was the most, he was the most interesting character we've gotten in years out of a Fast and Furious film. It really did feel like something fresh with him, but unfortunately, we had to deal with about an hour and a half of extra storylines because they've been adding so many people to this fucking family every single film. You know, personally, I wouldn't even suggest this film to my worst enemies. Um, it's absolute dog shit. And I just, I, I, I want this to end so badly. Um, <laughs> I just can't. I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it to the next one with my mom. Uh, she loves Vin Diesel. So that's the main reason why I go to these with her but it's at, it's at a point where I just can't stand it. It's supposed to be the end of the road. I guarantee you it's not. Um, they'll find some way to make it about Dom's son or some bullshit like that. They'll never truly let the Fast and Furious die. Um, that's my opinion. Um, it could be coming to an end, but who knows? Um, oh, The Rock's back as well. Uh, Mr. I'm never returning to this franchise um, has returned to the franchise uh, <laughs> for its end. Um, all right, let's move on. And now a quick word from our sponsor, Manscaped. This is a public service announcement. Manscaped now has beer products and is going even further with their brand new Weed Whacker 2.0. Go ahead and tell the world the leaders in below the waist grooming are traveling north of your South Pole with their revolutionary grooming products. The new Weed Whacker 2.0 and their new beard line confirms they have all the best tools for your hygiene toolbox. Time for you to upgrade your game by going to manscaped.com and using our code 20NERCHO for 20% off plus free shipping. Listeners know that there's no one I trust more with my nutsack than Manscaped, so why not trust them with my beard also? So allow me to introduce you to the Beard Hedger Pro Kit. It's the ultimate package that makes it easier than ever to craft your signature look. It all starts with the cordless electric Beard Hedger. The Beard Hedger is tough on hair but smooth on your face, leading to single stroke efficiency that brings satisfaction one stroke at a time just like your mother. <laughs> this waterproof cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths, all with one guard, so no more messy drawers full of extra add-ons. The Pro Kit also comes with four dermatologist tested formulations for your post-trim care. This includes Manscaped's beard shampoo and conditioner, beard oil, and beard balm to moisturize, style, and shimmer your new beard. Plus the kit has three gifts, a beard brush, a comb, and scissors. So with a nice beard, your face is perfectly groomed, right? 
Wrong! You need to keep an eye out for those tough-to-trim ear and nose hairs. The brand new Weed Whacker 2.0 offers improved blades and skin-safe technology with virtually no tugging. It's never been so painless to mind your manholes. Now that you have your face looking great, you must try Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0 for the full body grooming experience. Good news though, the Performance Package 4.0 now comes with the Weed Whacker 2.0 and all the other below-the-waist grooming products Manscaped is known for. Your significant other will be delighted to see you covering all bases, if you know what I mean. So listeners, get 20% off and free shipping with our code 20NerdShow at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and make sure to use our code 20NerdShow. Always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. Alright, so this week kicked off the Summer Games Fest, which by the time you're hearing this, I'm most likely already live reacting to another press conference. So make sure that you're following us on Twitch. But this past Thursday kicked off the fest with Jeff Keighley, giving us some you know game updates and some new games for the Summer Games Fest. Uh, my overall impressions of the event were kind of middling. In previous years, we've seen much bigger announcements come out of this event. So the big finale being you know Final Fantasy VII. Uh, wasn't all that big for me. I'm not the biggest Final Fantasy person, though I am starting to think that I might need to give Final Fantasy VII's remakes a try at least, because uh, they do look like good game experiences. I've just never been into Final Fantasy. But like I said, this is the opener to the weekend, so I'm definitely expecting a lot more out of maybe the Xbox one this Sunday. But I do know, you know quite a few people had some pretty large expectations for this event, and I can't blame them with the way things were advertised either. Uh, but nevertheless, here are some of like my biggest highlights from this event. Um, one of the biggest surprises was getting to see the official date for Spider-Man 2, which you would have thought Sony would have you know, actually announced at their own event um, back in May. But instead, I guess they wanted to save something for the you know Summer Games Fest. So we learned that Spider-Man 2 will be coming out October 20th, which is about a month off from where speculation and rumors had been pointing at for September. But you know, it all still fits into fall. We also got a good glimpse at um, Alan Wake 2 as they showed off a very short stint of gameplay, which didn't really give you a whole lot to imagine what your playthrough might actually feel like, but the described dual storyline so far has me interested enough to be keeping an eye out for this game, but I am going to need to see a little bit more before I consider picking it up. But it does seem like Alan is trapped in you know one world, the nightmare dimension, while somehow narrating and perhaps writing the second protagonist's story, Saga, who will be getting an even like 50-50 split of the game with Alan. It, it kind of sounded like he said that you could switch between each character at any given time, but I'm not 100% on that, especially since they didn't show any gameplay of that. The game Banishers got a larger trailer this time around. Um, this game is being made by the same team behind Vampire, which wasn't a game I could really get into while playing it. I did try it a couple times on stream, I think a couple years ago for Horror Month, but this game gives me a strong Witcher vibe as I got from its debut trailer as well as this one. You know, it shows off a couple um, where one of them has died. I believe the wife um, has died and now it's having the husband use kind of her as a power source it seems to fight off supernatural beings the story seems to be dealing with some deep concepts here as it does seem like they're you know dealing with the idea of having to let go of one another 
to find peace or continuing to hunt ghosts to be in each other's lives. And at the same time, the gameplay just continues to look like some badass ghost hunting fun. So I'm very intrigued by this title. Um, it's currently said to be released sometime at the end of this year, but there isn't a solid release date just yet. Another game I've been keeping my eye on is Lies of P, which got a new gameplay trailer and it actually announced a demo is available right now to play. It looks like a Souls-like game. So, you know, that definitely catches my attention right off the bat. But I'm also intrigued by this kind of Geppetto uh, Pinocchio storyline in that type of world. So I'm excited to get my hands on this demo. I will be trying it out um, on this Saturday, um, the same day that this episode releases. So I'll probably be doing that right after the future game show. So again, make sure you hop on over to Twitch and check out our gameplay of it. But the actual full game will be coming out on September 19th of this year. Another side scroller with a very similar art style to replace yet set in the medieval times is Yes, Your Grace. Again, it's the striking art of the these like 16-bit style games that utilizes you know the background foreground all that to create this like really good sense of depth that just makes me so intrigued at what that kind of experience would feel like playing this is apparently a sequel to um, some 2020 games that the same studio has made where you um, in those games were choosing you know how to run your kingdom and it seems like what we saw from the gameplay of this that you will be making those types of difficult choices here as well that may affect the story in different ways the trailer did end though by saying that the game would be coming out sometime next year no like hard date set just yet a game i haven't really gotten a chance to talk about here on the show is immortals of avium which it's a magic shooter um you know magic gameplay but in kind of a first person shooter style um, that reminds me a lot of like you know what i would do with my own playthroughs of skyrim but we got to see a little bit more of the actual campaign this time around from this newest trailer and they really highlighted the voice actor who plays the main character and honestly i wasn't too impressed by the performances that were shown off in this trailer i was getting some real forespoken vibes um which i am realizing a lot of my you know praises for this game so far with you know friends and stuff um or kind of the same for forespoken you know forespoken you know looked like a very fun game at first until i got my hands on it um so i'm hoping that this isn't you know half-baked i i like so i hope it but overall, I am hoping that this isn't half-baked in a similar fashion to Forspoken. There's just a lot of, you know, magic shooters coming out right now. So I could imagine them trying to just push this out before those come out. But I'm hoping that's not really the case here. Now, of course, I saved best for last, but the actual show didn't save it for last, which I was surprised by. Uh, Mortal Kombat 1 gameplay was actually shown off, which was pretty good. Um, it was way more like the CGI trailer than like previous incarnations where we would see Mortal Kombat do these announcements with a CG trailer, and it would definitely be higher grade than the graphics that we would get in the game. This actually seemed pretty close to what we got from the CG trailer, which was very cool to see. However, I'm not super impressed by anyone's models just yet. Um, I don't know if it was just the costume choices that we got up front um, in general. I don't know if it was just the costume choices we got up front, um, but their models, while they are, you know, obviously updated versions from what we got in Mortal Kombat 11, everyone had this, you know, kind of generic look to them. And it didn't help me like being able to identify who they were right off the bat until I got to see some of their moves in action. Like, of course, the moment I saw lightning and the moment I saw someone throw a hat and the moment I saw, you know, Johnny do his classic um, punch to the groin, 
I knew who these characters were, but if you had just lined them all up, I don't know if I would be able to tell you exactly who was who unless they were dressed in more of their like typical clothes. But these were clips straight out of what seems to be the story mode. So obviously they're going to be wearing different things and having different outfits. There just wasn't enough to distinguish them just yet, in my opinion. But since this was some of the story, we did get to see how different a little bit we did get to, we get to see we did get to see a little bit of how different you know this timeline is going to be, um, especially now that everything's been shaken up by you know Fire God um, Luke Kang, which excites me. You know I am interested in a new story set in this universe. I'm sure they had a lot of fun you know putting in some new twists for some of these characters, and hopefully it's a fresh enough experience that I'm not just feeling like I'm rehashing all of old Mortal Kombat storylines, which we've already rebooted twice now. So let's. Let's do something really interesting with the story this time around, please. Um, we did get a, a good look at what was up with all the cameo fighters and stuff like that. It's like I was saying by how it was described early on, this sounds this sounds like something very in between tag fighter and just like simple button presses for help from a friend. Whereas this is a little bit more in depth, you know, while you don't do a full switch between characters, you and your cameo fighter will be doing combos together um, based off of you know the button presses that you put in. You know your cameo fighter will then come in and then start doing a full combo. And there's multiple combos that they can do, which I think will be a you know a welcome addition to the game. I think that will add to a lot of um, like variety and variables to you know come up against when you're fighting someone either online or in competitions and such like that. Like I can only imagine what the pro scene is going to look like with cameo with cameo fighters involved. So overall, I was happy with this you know presentation for Mortal Kombat 1. Um, I'm also happy that they just kind of waited till now to really show off anything. I know the whole internet has been hounding um, Ed Boon for quite a while to actually show off some stuff. So, you know, it's really good to see them really strut this game out here and give you know the fans what they wanted um, when they could because you know now the game comes out September 19th which is not super far away you're not gonna have to wait too long um, to learn more about this game and actually get it into your hands but there was plenty more shown off and you can catch the VOD of my live reactions to that event um, and you can also catch the rest of the announcements coming out if you follow us on Twitch and catch my live reactions, um, we're going to be watching the future game show, like I said, um, this Xbox and Starfield showcases, and then maybe the Ubisoft Forward event on Monday. Depends on my schedule. So make sure that you join us live on Twitch. Um, also, make sure to join me at Amazing Nerd Live on Twitter for all gaming and live stream you know, updates for the Amazing Nerd Show, as that's where I post all of that. Um, but for now, let's move on to some wrestling. But the dumbest one, the fattest one, I saw the big American flag and everybody called USA, USA corporate commissioner. Remember you punk, I call you a punk. I just want to know what Olympic gene corporate commissioner been. How many people corporate commissioner he beat in America? No. All American wrestling city, Miami, we're gonna find out one more time. The Aaron Sheik always the best and still gonna be the best. All right, Christian, so this past week's Dynamite was all about the setup. Uh, you know, AEW has a huge summer ahead of them with the debut of Collision coming next week. And we also have Forbidden Door coming at the end of this month. Uh, so this, you know, 
whole episode of Dynamite was all about kind of laying the groundwork. So let's go ahead and get into it. Well, we start off the show with Orange Cassidy defeating Swerve Strickland to retain his AEW international title. So honestly, I was kind of surprised by the results of this. Um, oh, I, 100%. I really thought Swerve was going to pick up the win here and, you know, and become the new international, you know, champion. Um, it just felt like, you know, that was the writing on the wall and it didn't happen. I thought the match was good. Um it didn't necessarily live up to my expectations. There was a little, like, I don't know, clunkiness here and there. Uh, but the energy was fantastic. And even with, like, a couple hiccups here and there, I mean, both guys are such pros that they just rustled right through it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, these two have great chemistry in the ring. And I'm a huge fan of Swerve. And even though I love, like, Orange's title reign right now. Like, I was kind of disappointed that, you know, Swerve didn't pick up the win <laughs> here. Uh, but I do feel like that's still in the cards because it, it looks like they're going to be continuing, you know, their angle, you know, moving on. Because, you know, after the match, we had the Mogul affiliate jump Orange Cassidy and out came Sting and Darby. Which I, we, I know we say this all the time, but can we not do the blackout for every supernatural style of wrestler? <laughs> <laughs> well, what kills me is they had Sabu on their show like two weeks ago, and Sabu's uh -huh. like the originator of the blackout. Like, that's <laughs> his whole like spill, like his deal. So I don't understand why they didn't do it for fucking Sabu. That would have been like perfect. Uh, but yeah, and this went on way too long. I don't know what the hell was going yes. on. Like, I was like, what's happening? Well, Sting had to get to the ring. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but he got to figure that they're underneath the ring at that point, right? Uh -huh. uh, but, you know, maybe that was too long for Sting to be under the ring. Because this match went, like, 20 minutes. So maybe you're right. Maybe he did have to, like, sprint to the ring. Um, but, yeah. I mean, well, I guess a man his age would be power walking at this point, right? <laughs> but it worked. It worked. So, um, you know, I'm guessing that we're going to get like maybe Sting and Darby and Orange, like going after the trio's titles or something like that. Cause we do know that the, you know, mobile affiliates do hold those belts. But I guess that leaves out Swerve. Um, you know, I I'm guessing we're going to get some sort of trio's match in the future. Um, like this pairing of Orange and Darby still doesn't make much sense. To me, like, and there's no, like, storyline reason behind it, mm -hmm. except for, like, mutual respect, but it is what it is. I know, like, they teamed up together as a trios before, and, like, you know, uh, Orange came out with, you know, a little, like, OC on his face or something like that. He did the whole, like, face paint spiel, yeah. Orange Cassidy style. Uh, so I'm guessing we'll probably see more of the same. And Sting, obviously, is a huge fan because he basically, like, paid tribute to Orange in that match if you remember so um i don't know it should be fun though but i, I do want to see swerve get some gold around his way sooner than later uh, after this we had a video package highlighting jay white and ricky starks ahead of their match yeah i mean this is what it is um i haven't been a big fan of the video packages that they've done for the bullet club recently um hmm. i'd much rather have them have a live mic i thought what they did in the ring with tony shivani last week was fantastic so i kind of want more of that like these little like vignettes just aren't really working for me i don't feel like they really captured jay white as a character well yet 
Um, so I don't know. It is what it is. But I'm glad that this was there and this existed to hype up. But I'm definitely going to need more Mike moments now, especially after what happens later on in this show. Like, I'm going to need a good explanation. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that later. After this, we got a bit of a recap of what happened at Dominion with Brian Danielson coming to the um, announce table and them showing the challenge he made to Okada um, for Forbidden Door. Uh, this is an absolute dream match. I was super excited over the the weekend when this was initially announced. Um, man, I mean, to have two huge matches on Forbidden Door, like, you know, Okada versus Brian and also Omega versus Osprey. I mean, you don't even need an undercard, honestly. <laughs> no, that sells the show, right? to be honest. Right? So at this point, I feel like Forbidden Door 2 is already going to outshine, you know, the first one, which I mean, the first one was great, especially since, you know, they were dealing with so many injuries and like card got reshuffled multiple times. Uh, the fact that they were able to like pull off a fantastic show is a small miracle, but like already like on paper this card is going to be 10 times better. Now there is a huge rumor swirling around today that uh, we might actually be getting CM Punk versus Kenta. Finally. Uh, how do you feel about that? Christian? I, it'll be, it'll be a decent match. I like Kenta for the most part. Um, and I think him and uh, Punk can work a match together, but you know, this has been talked about for like the last 10 years. So by I'm a little over by it. Mostly Kenta. <laughs> By the way, <laughs> yeah, by mostly Kenta, yes. I don't know how much Punk is really interested in this match, uh, but it does make sense, especially since Punk will only be back for like a couple weeks at that mm. point. So it it's a built-in storyline that he can just jump right into. Um, and you know, I won't lie, like Kenta bored the shit out of me in NXT, uh, but I've enjoyed like heel Kenta in like New Japan. So I don't know. I, I could, you know, at least enjoy this match, you know, the idea mm -hmm. behind this match. So uh, with Brian still on commentary, we had Blackpool Combat Club go ahead and defeat our members of Chaos here in AEW. That's Chuck Taylor, Trent Beretta and Rocky Romero. Uh, this was a great match. And I mean, Chaos or the best friends, whatever the hell you want to call them, uh, really uh, brought their A game here. Trent is just so underrated in the ring like everything he does looks great um i wouldn't mind seeing it i love the best friends mind you but i wouldn't mind seeing a, a trent heel turn eventually i do feel like he needs to break out on his own like his ring work is really awesome and like i just want to see the guy get a push eventually um since like it seems like tony doesn't see these guys pass like you know the mid card um, mm -hmm. I mean, they sniffed gold in the past, but they still feel like they're far, far away from ever, like, you know, really becoming serious contenders, uh, which is, I think, unfortunate because, like, I'd love to see them eventually, you know, pick up a huge win. Um, and I thought the trios division would be really where they shined, but I don't know. For some reason, we've got Orange, you know, hanging out with Sting and fucking Darby. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's friend of the week for whoever yeah, for Orange Cassidy. I don't know weird. what's going on. It's weird. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, I thought this match was great. Um, once again, they really focused on Yuta. So I do feel like they have like big plans for him in the future. Um, I love like after the match. And I don't know if this was actually on uh, the show itself, but I saw some like behind the scene footage of like Brian getting in the ring. 
um, probably after the Bucks challenge, which we'll talk about in a little bit, and like just slapping the shit out of Yuta for like <laughs> no reason whatsoever. Just like Yuta like put his hands behind the back and took a couple slaps from Brian. So, uh, but Brian did a great job on commentary too, just like really putting Yuta over and just putting the mm. idea and the concepts behind like the faction over. Because um, I feel like sometimes that gets lost in the shuffle. Um, yeah, and then, like, after this, we had, you know, the Bucks and uh, Hangman come on screen and make a challenge for next week. So we're going to see the Hung Bucks uh, going against uh, the Blackpool Combat Club, uh, you know, minus Brian Danielson. How, how did this start with the Hung Bucks again? This was this is what they used to call themselves as a trios back in Ring of Honor, I believe. Okay, okay. Because I was like, what is going... Because Excalibur kept doing it. And I'm like, is this some inside joke that I'm missing here? <laughs> no, I believe they went by it in Ring of Honor. So that was their okay, trio Okay, okay. <laughs> After this, we had a video package about Kenny Omega versus Will Ospreay. Just kind of like a quick you know, recap of everything that happened before. Yeah, I was kind of surprised that Kenny wasn't actually on the show. I was half expecting him to show up like, during the uh, Takeshita match. Uh, but that didn't happen, and, like, I mean, maybe this is why. Maybe they're trying to just, like, focus on Osprey versus um, Omega since, you know, the match is only a month away or less than a month away mm. at this point. So maybe the next time we see him, he'll just be cutting a promo on Osprey. But with that being said, I could also see him, like, showing up next week, um, you know, after, you know, the Hung Bucks versus uh, BCC. Because you gotta figure, like, Blood and Guts is on the horizon, um, I'm sure they'll probably wait till after, uh, you know, Forbidden Door, but that's got to be on the cards. Um, yeah. I, I think you'll probably have a few like, you know, like individual matches happening. Um, you'll probably get like Omega versus Yuta, you know, since Yuta like, you know, got the pin on Omega. Um, but yeah, or like, you know, Omega versus Takeshita. Um, that that's a shoe in to happen. Well, that's my thing. Like, you know, and, and we can just. I don't know if you want to just talk about it now, but like the whole family aspect, it just feels like they're going to set up another faction because it doesn't feel like Takesh is going to be a part of the BCC story at all. Could he possibly be part of the Bullet Club? Because um, he is wearing Bullet Club like colors because didn't he have like gold? I wouldn't mind it. Did he have gold on his tights? I think it was silver. Was it silver? I mean, okay. Easily replaced. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, that's kind of what made me think, like, oh, well, maybe you know he could probably be possibly joining mm -hmm. the Bullet Club, and we'll talk about like their potential new members in a little bit. But there was a big rumor going around on Wednesday that we would be seeing new members of the Bullet Club sooner than later, um, and then the main event happened. <laughs> but I could possibly see like Takashita also be part of that group. Um, mm -hmm. and Callus, you know, working as like their heel manager, of course, um, you know, Callus has ties to new Japan and everything like that. So, I mean, it could work. Um, I do feel like Takeshita will be involved though, in the blood and guts match mo most likely. So maybe that's somewhere down the line. Um, I just don't feel like Callus and like the BCC are really a fit. Like, I could see, like, yeah. if it was just Takeshita, but since Callus is, is involved, I mean, I don't know. That just feels weird to me. Um, but I, if Takeshita and Callus are going to have, like, a group around them, like, I just hope that it's, like, bigger names and not just 
you know, some like lower mid card guys that they want to give like, you know, time, like screen time to, um, you know, make the group feel important. So, uh, but I guess we'll have to wait. Oh, uh, we then had MGF in the ring, uh, claiming that there's no worthy competition for him. And then, of course, we had Adam Cole's music blast in and Adam Cole made his big entrance um, and they went back and forth. Yeah, uh, it seemed like MJF was basically channeling all the internet trolls that Cole has to deal with all the time. Uh-huh. Um, you know, just basically throwing every criticism that, you know, he's gotten over the past like couple years since he's joined AEW Adam. Um, I thought it was pretty good stuff. I, I did enjoy uh, Cole's rebuttal on the mic and everything like that. And MJF is a master of like, you know, building up, you know, his next opponent and tearing them down simultaneously. Um, and this was more of the same. Um, but for the most part, I thought it worked. Um, do I want to see this match? Eh. <laughs> um, I think, you know, the one issue I had with this back and forth is I just don't like MJF coming off as a complete idiot. And the fact that, like, Cole was able to easily, like, goad him into, mm-hmm. you know, accepting the match felt a little weird to me. Unless this was, like, part of MJF's plan all along um you know next week we're gonna have i guess a title eliminator which i fucking hate with every fiber of my being it just feels so wwe to have like we're gonna have a match before the championship match um, uh-huh. for me that just feels like it takes away from like the pomp and circumstance of you know the importance of the title match like i want to see like i want it to be a case of like the first time they're locking up to be like in that title match not in a preview to that title match (laughs) in some convoluted way to get like number one contendership and like since like tony's done away with like the rankings it feels like he's leaning into the whole concept of these like title eliminators more and more uh, mm. which I'm not a fan of. I, I'd much rather have him just go back to the drawing board with the rankings and figure out a way to do it where it makes sense and, you know, like, you know, add weight to victories, like, you know, you know, more meaningful victories. Because part of the problem was, like, wrestlers were obviously padding the rankings by, like, you know, victories on, like, dark and, you know, elevation where they felt like, you know, they felt like empty wins. Like you had like the the guns like being basically undefeated for a year or something like that, but they weren't facing anyone but local talents. <laughs> so to feel like they were truly worthy of being like number one contenders, instead maybe do it as like power rankings, where like you know you give weight to like bigger victories, like those victories matter more than you know your like preliminary like card shit. So, um, but, you know, Tony's a smart enough guy that I figure, like, this shouldn't be so hard to figure out. Um, but it is what it is. Because, I don't know, to me, like, title eliminator matches, just, I don't know, such a turn I mean, my assumption is that the match is going to be a total screw job, and then he'll have to set up another way to prove that he's worthy of a title shot. Exactly. And- it, it feels very much like what we had happen last program with the Pillars, right? Where that, you know, mm. the tournament ended up being a complete farce and then they had to find another way to set up, you know, the four-way match. Um, it's very convoluted. Um, also, like, when the hell is this match taking place? Like, if Cole did actually get the victory. 
I have to assume it's gotta be a fucking just like a TV special or something. Some like Bash at the Beach or some bullshit that they're gonna I do. I mean, if that's the case, I'm fine with it. Like, I just don't mm. want this program to be like a three month program. Like, exactly. Right? Like, and I'm, a, I'm terrified that it's going to be, you know? It's just like Cole just returned, so it doesn't feel like he's really even worthy of a title shot at this point. Yeah. Um, and I'm guessing that's why they're doing the Eliminator match. But like you said, I do feel like this is going to end up being like a setup by MJF to kind of like make sure that Cole doesn't actually get a title match at the end of the day. Um, you know, and then like you said, like Cole's going to have to earn his way back to number one contendership, which it is what it is. I, I mean, they're both awesome on the mic and I'm sure they'll put on like a riveting program, you know, it's, that can sustain a couple month build, but. I just feel like there's so many more interesting like contenders out there that I'd rather see MJF go against um, that this just doesn't do much for me. Like I'm not sold on Adam Cole as a baby face yet. Um, mm. And I just like everything with Brit and everything like just it really I don't know. It bored me, honestly. <laughs> so and my fear is with like Brit going back and forth with MJF online and everything like that, that she's going to become involved in this program, too. Mm. And man, I just I feel like that's death. Like, I feel like anytime you have a baby face in like a relationship angle, it's just the kiss of death. Um, so, I mean, Cole's like, once again, incredibly talented and I'm sure he'll be able to somehow pull it off, but it's going to be going against the grain in the long run. Like the crowd just for some reason never gets behind like a baby face couple. Um, I don't know. And it just feels like, you know, she ends up being almost like bait for the program for the heel to go after to like, you know, get back at, you know, the baby face. And, that's just i don't know that that's a misuse of brit at the end of the day and we just saw that angle right <laughs> yes i don't need another you know handcuff to the ring moment yes yes i agree for this being like kind of the start of the program seemingly you know i thought it was well done um and it got me a little more interested than i originally was when this was just a rumor so i'll give them credit where credit's due it also did like huge ratings for them so it was the highest rated quarter of the show um so people are definitely you know into it so we'll just see how it turns out i guess we got more of this fucking contract bullshit in the backs in the back with matt hardy and everything now apparently he controls page um and it seems like they're gonna do uh like a a face turn for all ego yeah that's where i think it's headed to um Ah, I just feel like Paige deserves so much better. Yeah. Honestly. I hate this so much. Yeah. Like, it was cute for a while, but, like, it was fine, like, as long as it was just existing on Rampage, but now it's, like, infecting Dynamite. (laughs) It's just becoming too much. You know, Mm -hmm. I want the Hardy Boys out there, you know, wrestling in tag matches. Um, I know Isaiah's kind of, like, lost in the shuffle right now because his brother's hurt, but, you know... It's fine, like, maybe, like, you know, have them as a trios or whatever, but Ethan needs to be a heel. I mean, he's a great heel, and, you know, I feel like he really hasn't gotten the push that he truly deserves. Like, he's better than this, like, mid-card, you know, nonsense. Um, So, 
I mean, obviously they're leaning on his talents because they know he's talented and he can pull this off. Um, but he has so much more potential than this that hopefully like he could put this all behind him. And, you know, especially with two shows now, um, you know, four hours a week to book, like he should be in a major feud um, sooner than later. And this just isn't, you know, cutting it in my estimation at all for him after this we had the texas tornado match with uh jack perry and hook defeating preston vance and drillistico so this match really like picked up momentum like once hook jumped off the fucking barricade with that steel chain wrapped around his fucking fist it was a hell of a fucking camera shot that they picked up i mean a lot of times uh-huh. we shit on like the production value of AEW, and rightfully so but i gotta give them flowers where flowers are definitely deserved because because this was a real nice like camera angle that they were able to capture um you know and then when we came back from the break like fucking vance was just busted wide open like i can tell if hook was bleeding too or if it was just all like vance's blood all over him but i mean it was quite a fucking scene <laughs> and then he did that throw with him like through the fucking table where i thought hook was uh-huh. about to break his neck um i don't know this was a fun match at the end of the day <laughs> um something that i really wasn't invested on you know on paper but like once it started i was like oh shit this is actually entertaining something that i wasn't initially like invested into like when it was announced but um hook's really showing me growth lately um he's doing a lot more selling um and pulling it off pretty well um like actually registering like pain on his face and everything like that because that was an issue in the beginning um not that he was selling much at all uh, but yeah, I mean, I think really this is all just kind of setting up the Jungle Boy turn, um, you know, even at the end of this, like when they're celebrating the ring, like Jungle Boy made it a point to go grab that chair again. Um, you know, it just felt like, you know, like Hook, like went to the corner first on purpose just to kind of like, you know, add fuel to the fire of that, you know. You know, is the is the turn going to happen here? Because they're definitely you know planting some serious seeds here. I feel like you know Hook and Jungle Boy will probably go on like a mini run, and then eventually we see you know Hook make the big mark, and eventually you know we'll see you know Jungle Boy make the turn. Um, so like maybe like after they get like a you know a tag team title shot or something like that and fail to capture the belts. Hook's still undefeated, right in singles. I believe so. I believe so. Um, I mean, Jungle Boy be, would be a good person to like, like yeah. take that FTW belt off of him. Um, you know, since I guess that's still a thing for some reason. <laughs> I just want to see what like heel Jungle Boy looks like. You know, exactly. I mean, it's got to be Corporate Boy. It's got to be Corporate Boy. But like, who's he answering to? i don't know you're too you got too much like wwe mark (laughs) you've got wwe brain man i mean (laughs) just because he's evil doesn't mean he has to be corporate right (laughs) um it would have been fun if he was still with like christian or with mj well maybe and then he was answering to them maybe they do reunite uh christian and uh jungle boy i mean maybe that becomes a thing again um but i kind of want to see him on his own also because i feel like Christian would probably end up like, I don't know, overshadowing him. Um, like, 
I don't know. I could see a complete image change. Like, does he cut his hair or something crazy? God, that'd be wild. Right? <laughs> I still want him coming out to Welcome to the Jungle. I feel like that'd be fucking perfect. Because he definitely has to get away from that song. Like, he can't be fucking heel coming mm-hmm. out to that song. And Welcome to the Jungle, like, you know, signifying that he means business now, that'd be great. You know, and just ditch <laughs> the fucking loincloth and everything like that. Like, uh-huh. he's got to get away from that. Oh, it's got to be like regular tights or something. Well, like maybe even full. What pants. if he comes out as like almost like Craven the Hunter? Like what if he comes out in like gear like that, looking like a total badass? It would be cool, but I, I still feel like I would rather him just drop the jungle aspect of the character entirely. Yeah. Like that shit was lame, and and it kind of was, but like, <laughs> and now he's just being a straight wrestler, uh-huh. you know, like no gimmicks needed or whatever. If Chris Antlander's not an alien anymore, Jungle Boy can, you know, drop the jungle. I'm, I'm totally fine with it. And so is JR. I mean, he's been pushing for it since day <laughs> one. So, you know, Jack Perry's fine. That I mean, I honestly think it's a lot more marketable than Jungle Boy. After this, we got to see our good friend Tony Khan give us the Collision announcement for this week. We announced the main event of the first episode of Collision being FTR with CM Punk going up against Samoa Joe and Juice Robinson with Jay White. So, like... When they announced this match, the first thing I thought with, you know, all the Bullet Club rumors, you know, uh, coming out, you know, the day of, you know, Dynamite that, you know, did they just spoil like Samoa Joe, like joining the Bullet Club, <laughs> um, which I definitely don't think would be a good fit. Um, but mm-hmm. there were also like tons of rumors that, you know, uh, Punk's first feud would be against Joe. But then later last week, we started hearing rumblings that it would actually be against Jay White. So I'm curious to see which direction they end up going in. Um, Because Joe feels very, like, shoehorned in here. Um, But so does Punk. Because really, like, the feud between, like, the Bullet Club right now and FTR includes Ricky Starks. So you got to figure that he's going to somehow factor into all this. Um, mm-hmm. How I don't know, but I mean, he's definitely you know, he can't be the odd man out because that's what he feels like right now. But I'm totally down for Punk versus Jay White personally. Um, while I, you know, I don't know how much much it will do for White in the end. I just think there would be a great feud between the two of them. I, you know what? I mean, yeah, Punk probably goes over here, but I mean, a feud like this, like losing to CM Punk is not going to hurt you. And like getting gotcha. White in the spotlight is going to do nothing but elevate him in like, you know, America audience's eyes. Um, so I think it'll do nothing but enhance him in the you know, long run. And if he's in a program with Punk, that means he's going to be getting lots of TV time, which is mm-hmm. nothing but a good thing for Wyatt. Because where he really shines, I mean, don't get me wrong, he's fantastic in the ring. But like where he really shines is on the fucking microphone. And he's going to be getting tons of mic time against Punk. So I, I feel like this is only a good thing for Wyatt. I mean, this is a huge, huge, you know, program to be entrusted with. So it shows that Tony has a lot invested. Um, after this, we had the match with uh, uh, Takeshita and Callis, uh, pretty much defeating Damon Ace, whoever that is, in like you know seconds. Local right? Um, hmm. Not that he bores me so much that I'm literally yawning. Um, but it is what it is, right? Like you, 
we knew once this was announced that, you know, Takeshita was in action that this was going to be an enhancement match. Uh-huh. Um, this is more just a reason to get, like, Callus on the screen so you could hear the chorus of booze, and that's exactly what fucking happened. Um, I do love the fact that he came out to no music. I thought that was cool. And I like that they kept the fucking Titantron or whatever the hell they call it in AEW. Well, I was going to ask if that was a mistake no, or not, no. because I was just confused why there was no music for Takeshita or nothing. No. I was like, oh, I think they- I, it's just more so you could hear the booze. That's gotcha. more what it was about. And then they left the Titantron running throughout the entire fucking match of mm-hmm. Takeshita, you know, stabbing Omega in the back and Callus attacking Omega. <laughs> so I thought that was awesome. A real nice touch. So, um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think we'll probably see a few more matches like this from Takeshita before we see Omega, like, confront him finally. It's just crazy to think, like, Omega's got basically, like, three feuds going on at once. Exactly. Right? Because he's got the BCC, he's got Takeshita and Callus, and then he also has Osprey. So, I mean, maybe Osprey is part of uh, Callus's family that he keeps on talking about. That'd be pretty cool. I'd be down for that. Um... I just I, I like to think that the Osprey angle is more just Osprey's chasing down Omega for revenge. No, you know, less than. But who better to corner Osprey than the guy who knows all of Omega's secrets? You know, mm-hmm. um, I could see that storyline absolutely playing out um, because I definitely feel like this is a trilogy, um, you know, very much akin to like Okada and Omega. Um, you know, you have Omega up one zero right now. Um, you'll probably see, you know, I'm guessing Osprey win at Forbidden Door. And then you have the rubber match at Wembley, um, you know, on Osprey's like home turf. So I feel like that would be just the perfect layout, um, you know, and like people were kind of like shitting on the idea of Osprey and Omega um, at Wembley. Like that's not a big enough match, but I mean, Okada Omega three was a huge match, so I don't know why Osprey, you know, Omega three wouldn't be a big match, especially in Wembley. You know, at Wembley, they would have the entire arena on their feet, like easy. Yes, yes, and you know, I mean, they're both you know such artists that you know they've already mm-hmm. booked these matches well out in advance, like the story that they're going to be telling in the ring. So I mean, you know that even though like. People are already considering Osprey and Omega the match of the year from, you know, Wrestle Kingdom. <laughs> um, you know that they were probably holding a lot of shit back for, you know, these next two matches. So I, I'm all for, you know, a trilogy. We then got a moment backstage where Christian Cage called in Alex Marvez for, you know, a quick interview. What we do find out is that Christian is pissed off that Arn got in his way um, during the ladder match and proceeded to have an attack happen on his son, on Arn's son, Brock. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I, I forget that Brock is there uh, most days. So, yeah. And so does Tony. Um, it is what it is. I don't I mean. I could see perhaps like a tag match happening with Wardlow and Brock uh, versus Christian and Luchasaurus before you get the Luchasaurus Wardlow match. I still feel like it's important that Wardlow's featured every week on the show so he can kind of recapture the momentum that he had, you know, a year ago. Um, They felt like they were going that route after the pay-per-view, but, you know. Obviously, that's not the case since he wasn't on the show tonight. After this, we had Chris Statlander defeating Anna Jay to retain her TBS title. I thought this was a great match. Um, you know, 
Anna Jay really rises to the occasion. Um, you know, I feel like when she came back from injury, she had a lot of rust, but you know, since then, um, you know, since those, you know, first couple of matches, I feel like she is really like showing that she's grown a lot as a wrestler and, you know, she's, like I said, rising to the occasion. Um, you know, I thought, you know, Statlander looked great here and, you know, Anna Jay looked great putting her over. So, um, you know, this was a fun match. No, commentary did a great job of explaining like, hey, yeah, we're watching these wrestlers grow like every day here at AEW. And yeah, she is definitely night and day from, you know, those first few matches we saw her have in AEW for sure. Uh, during the match, we had Valkyrie looking on uh, on the monitor. Uh, she's obviously turning heel here. So I'm sure we're getting, you know, Statlander versus Valkyrie in the near future. Well, this leads us to our main event where we had Jay White defeating Ricky Starks. I thought all in all, besides the finish, this was a great match. Um, They had to work really hard to get the crowd back into it. It felt like they kind of like were sitting on their hands at first. Um, You know, like they popped big for the entrances, but... You know, once the match started, it just felt like they were just, you know, there. Um, Mm -hmm. But they... Both wrestlers, you know, Starks and White, definitely like, you know, upped it a gear and, you know, really, you know, got the crowd, you know, on their feet at the end. I think what kind of took me out of it was like the ref bump was a little weak. (laughs) I'm glad that they made sure to show the crowd that like Starks was about to hit his finishers, you know, letting you know that he could have beaten White, um, you know, before all of a sudden for no good reason whatsoever. The guns came through the crowd and, you know, cost Ricky Starks the win here. Um, Definitely feels like they're probably going to be part of Bullet Club Gold. Um, Yes. I will say, character-wise and swagger-wise, they do fit the group. In ring wise, though, I just don't feel like they're really like up to snuff. Um, and this feels like it's really coming out of left field. I mean, I guess you did have them just lose the belts to FTR like a month ago. So maybe that's mm. their kind of angle into this program, um, which it is what it is. Um, but I don't know. For me, this was pretty disappointing especially you know since you know earlier on in the day like i said before like we heard the rumors of you know new members for you know bullet club so you can't help but like starting to like kind of fantasy book like the faction and everything like that who you'd like to see join and Mm -hmm. i gotta tell you the guns were definitely very very low (laughs) on my list (laughs) even though like i I do feel like at the end of the day they probably do make sense like you know, with the group, and they'll probably be like super obnoxious, you know, especially like standing alongside Juice Robinson. Um, but yeah, like in my mind, I'm like, oh, what if fucking Swerve joins or, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm looking at like big names, like even Samoa mm. Joe, like, you know, even though that doesn't make much sense to me, even like I said, you know, when we got the match graphic for Collision with, you know, uh, pull a couple gold you know teaming up with Samoa Joe you know even though like like that doesn't make much sense to me on paper like that's more exciting 
um, than the ass boys. Yeah, and I'm like, I don't have an an issue with them joining. You know, I think that they will be a good fit in the end. I just need them to, you know, present them as like killers for a little bit. I want to see them, uh, you know, working for Jay White and, you know, being utilized as his like attack dogs yes. for a little bit. So maybe that they can kind of get past, you know, the the name Ass Boys, you know, because I don't I don't know. If, I don't know how I, I don't, feel about I don't mind the them. group all standing together doing I don't that. mind them as the Ass Boys, like if like the crowd is taunting him you know, with the ass boys chat, because I mean, that's part of being a heel. Um, like they're not mm-hmm. calling themselves the ass boys. <laughs> That'd no. be one thing if they had it on their tights. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, they're the guns bullet club. It works right. Like, so, yeah. um, and like their dad was part of, you know, DX for crying out loud. And that's really kind of the roots of the bullet club at the end of the day, you know, them and the NWO. So, um, so technically, they almost feel like legacy pledges, if you will. Uh, but I don't know. I just had bigger like expectations, I guess, you know, for, you know, this group. But I don't know. I just had bigger like oh, yeah. expectations, you know, for this reveal. And that doesn't mean that, you know, bigger names can't join later on. But this just was a little lackluster. Especially for like a main event slot. You think that it's going to be something like really big, you know, showing up. But it, it is what it is, I guess. Now I'm going to do a little fantasy book in here. But like... Could we see something happen where during the main event of Collision, which sees, you know, Bullet Club Gold and Samoa Joe going against FTR and CM Punk, Ricky Starks, like, makes a run-in and actually, like, turns on FTR and Punk and joins Bullet Club? And you could kind of play it up where, like, you know, I've been here this entire time. You've been, you know, off doing God knows what for the past year. And like right off the bat, you've stolen my spotlight, you know, and my, you know, spot on the card, you know, and that's why Starks ends up joining Bullet Club. Cause it does feel like Starks is also someone who's like tailor made to be part of the faction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, could we be getting what, you know, I was joking about last week where this has all just been a huge initiation and they're just jumping him into the group i think that would be interesting but everything that we've seen from AEW over the over the years i just don't see them doing a turn that just suddenly you know oh yes AEW definitely likes to draw things out (laughs) yes uh but i i don't know i would love to see it eventually happen um I feel like it would kind of rocket strap Starks and, you know, like to me, the one thing that like Bullet Club over in Japan is missing is that like, you know, heel like swagger that, you know, they used to have, you know, back with the elite and back with like Styles and, you know, Gallows and Anderson. Um, they just feel like such a generic like heel group at this point. Like they just added a bunch of members uh, at Dominion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, who the fuck are these guys? <laughs> um, so I feel like, you know, it'd be cool to see like AEW just do it better, you know, with the names that they have, because they have so many like great potential names who mm-hmm. really do make sense with that group. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, it just depends on how like truly invested they are into the idea behind Bullet Club at the end of the day. 
I mean, some of those like greatest Ring of Honor moments were when the Bullet Club would show up and you know have a surprise member that we had no idea you know would ever turn heel like that. So I mean, it would work in AEW. It's just I they just don't book that way ever. Just because outside of Chicago, ticket sales have been like abysmal. So like I think the show after um, the United Center in Canada, I forgot where exactly, but. Like they're under like two thousand tickets sold right now, so yeah, Jeez. it's been a struggle. I think part of it is like some people are worried that this is just a two-hour-long rampage, you know, <laughs> like it's going to be booked similar. That it's not really going to be like another A show, even though like after the fact, people have like been coming out and saying, "Oh yeah, no, Tony's always always been saying that," you know. Rampage is more along the lines as like WWF's uh, uh, Sunday Night Heat. I, I was like, that's not what he originally said. That's not no, how he hyped it up whatsoever. Like he was saying, though, this is another A show, you know, for months. So don't give me that bullshit. So I can understand why people aren't necessarily trusting at this point. Mm-hmm. But I guarantee you, if TNT like gave them two hours, they want this show booked like an a show um you know especially in prime time you know rampage was never in a prime time slot um so it is what it is but you know this is supposed to be another big show especially if they're headlining with cm punk um Mm -hmm. you know they're stacking the deck here so um but i understand why at the same time fans are skittish so i mean god knows you know cm punk is a fucking powder keg so you don't (laughs) when that situation is just going to blow up and how long it's going to yeah, blow up yeah. in Tony's face. So <laughs> I understand why people aren't like running, you know, to buy tickets right now. You know, it's probably more of a wait and see situation, which I get. Well, that does it for this week. As a friendly reminder, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're there, leave a five star review. It really helps new listeners to find the podcast and for us to continue to grow. Also, if you like the stories from this week's episode and want to keep up to date with the show, follow us on social media at Amazing Nerd Show or stop by the AmazingNerdShow.com. And hey, to support the show further and get additional weekly content, you can subscribe to us now on Patreon. Just follow the link in the show notes. Also, if you want to rep some Nerd Show swag, you can head over to TeePublic.com to find t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional Nerd Show swag as long as you live in the United States. All right, make sure to join us next week as we talk all the latest news and rumors in nerd culture and whatever's going on in the world of wrestling. My name's Christian. And my name's David. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. Scorpion wins. Fatality.